Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Just recently, the country of Spain has captured my heart. It first began with watching a movie about Garamandel a few years ago when it was released and becoming familiar with that message. And then it was reading the biography of a religious sister named Sister Teresita Cavedo and really falling in love with her story and her devotion to the Blessed Mother. And throughout this year, I'm reading The Mystical City of God by the Venerable Maria of Agreda, 365 days of readings and podcasts. And so, personally, I have a great desire to make it to Spain in the not-so-distant future and to be able to visit Carabanchel, where this religious sister was from, to visit Agreda and the convents where Venerable Maria of Agreda lived and was the abbess, and also then to visit a site of Marian apparition in Garambendel and to be able to pray there. I've talked a lot about different Marian apparitions. We've interviewed the rector of Knock, Ireland. We've talked about Fatima and Lourdes. And today I'm happy to be introducing you all to Garambendel, which is an apparition of Our Lady from Spain, and we're going to hear a bit of its message today. I am speaking with Glenn Hudson today, and he began his work with Garamandel in 1993 at the New York Garamandel Center, and today I would consider him one of the leading authorities he spends every day focusing on translating and sharing the message of Garamandel with hundreds of thousands of people. On Facebook, there's a group, The Message of Garamandel, that I belong to that has 73,800 members and uh, lots of people coming to know this message. So thanks so much for joining me today, Glenn. Thank you for having me on, Father. And so I've said the name of the village already, Garamandel. So what can you tell us about Garamandel? What's a brief description and maybe even a history of the apparitions? Sure. Uh, Garamandel is a town in northern Spain, and um, it really is a place that is from a different era, a different time, very remote uh, mountain town. Um, they didn't even have electricity until the 1950s. It was so remote. And um, it's a very quaint town, very religious. Uh, in 1961, it had about 300 residents total. Uh, everyone is mostly Catholic. And um, at that time, in 1961, uh, four girls were out uh, playing in an apple yard, and um, they heard a crack of thunder, and they saw an angel. And, um, you know, they ran home scared and told their parents, and their parents probably chastised them because they thought they were kidding or making up a story. Uh, but again, uh, the angel appeared again and then said that the Blessed Mother would be appearing on July 2nd in 1961. And so this started a four-year saga of the Blessed Mother appearing uh, in this town. Um, now, she only appeared to one girl, Conchita, the main visionary, for the total of the four years, um, and the other ones to a lesser degree. And uh, during that time period, um, there were many daily miracles that were formed, and we'll get into that a little later. Um, that were uh, irrefutable, um, that this was the, the presence of the Blessed Mother. Um, and she left not only daily messages for the children on how they should live their life, but she left messages for the future, for humanity, of what's going to happen um, if if we don't start to change our ways and repent. So there are two things that you just said that were quite interesting to me. The first is that it was a mountain town. It was remote. For lots of people who've been to some of these Marian apparition sites, that's precisely where Mary shows up. Even here in the United States, we have this Marian apparition in Champion, Wisconsin. It's been authenticated by the local bishop. Pilgrims flock there. And it's in the middle of a cornfield, really. It's in a very remote area. I live 20 minutes from there. It's in rural Wisconsin. Some people may have gone to Medjugorje, and that is a place, you know, um, you drive through the mountains to get there. The same thing with La Salette. It's in, the, it's in the Alps, you know. So Mary likes to appear in some of these remote places. And then Mary was going to give a message on July 2nd, 1961, which, interestingly enough, 
is that that was the Feast of the Visitation back then. And so here you have mm. Mary visiting a hill countryside and giving a message just as she visited her cousin Elizabeth, bringing the message of salvation and Christ in her womb to them. And one of the people then that Our Lady appeared to, you mentioned, was Conchita, that she received the apparitions all throughout the four years. So there were three other visionaries. I'm just wondering, are they still alive? Well, uh, three of the four are. Uh, Conchita is still alive. Um, she's a widow now, uh, but, and she has four children, and she lives in New York, <clears throat> where I live. Um, we live fairly close to each other. Um, Jacinta, which is like a second cousin to her, um, she's married, lives in California, has one child. Uh, Mary Cruz uh, is married, has four children. She moved from Garabandale to Avia, Spain, which is about 100 miles from Garabandale. And unfortunately, uh, Mary Loli Maison um, passed away in 2009 from lupus. Um, she was married and had three children. So one of the things that's interesting as you talk about all of those visionaries is that they're all married. And uh, as I was watching a documentary just the other day about Garen Bendel, what I learned was that Conchita actually kind of went off to a convent, and there she experienced the Lord talking to her, and the Lord told her, I want you to be in the world. And so Our Lady and Our Lord called these people to be witnesses to holy marriages and, and to be living in the world and to spread the message. Yeah, actually, one of the uh, most interesting things is one of the questions I always get from uh, people who question Garabandel is, oh, why didn't the girls immediately become nuns when they were of age? And I said, well, actually, three of them entered convents, Conchita, Mary Lowley, and Jacinta all entered convents. Um, Mary Lowley and Jacinta left for, for different reasons. Um, they felt that it, it was not their calling um, to be a religious. <clears throat> but Conchita herself had a locution from Jesus himself telling her, you know, do you want to do my will or do you want to do your will? And he said, I want you out in the world. You have to speak to the world about Mary. And so she, she left the convent and went back to the town for a while and then and later uh, moved to New York. And, and a lot of people forget that being, being uh, a wife and a mother, this is a vocation. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a religious vocation to be a vocation. Uh, you know, marriage is still a sacrament, and, and it, it is a vocation to be called to. And when I was Googling around about Garen Bendel back when I watched the first movie, one of the things that really impressed me and amazed me was that Conchita was on like late night talk shows with some of these hosts that, that you would know of from back in the day, maybe Johnny Carson or whoever. And, and she was sharing about what was happening and the messages that she received. So really when she was in the world, she was able to spread that message probably to a greater degree than if she was in the convent. Yeah, she. Uh, a lot of people ask why. Why isn't she out there today? And uh, they have to understand that this girl was hounded every day when she lived in the village by hundreds of people wanting to talk to her, to question her. Uh, um, you know, and and it became relentless to the point where even when she moved to America, she still did almost twenty years of interviews and and shows, radio shows, TV shows. So she answered every question that could be asked for about 20 years. And then I think, I think she had a locution and, and, and knew that this was enough for now. You know, all of the important information is out there now in, in books, in videos, you know, on the Internet. It's, it's widespread. So she really doesn't need to be out there. And that's kind of where I'm stepping in now is having an interactive site where you can ask me questions and and you'll get answers that were derived from these books and speaking personally to Conchita. So how did your role come about with the Garamadel Apostolate? <clears throat> well, it's kind of interesting. I was about um, 13 years old uh, and uh, I was a pretty big kid and liked playing football and uh, in a, you know, like a town league. And um, But I, I had a problem. I was getting very slow in my running. I, I could not make myself faster. And my legs started to hurt a lot. And my mother took me to the doctor and they had diagnosed me with a bone marrow disease. 
And my mother was very upset, <clears throat> and um, my mother's from Italy, so she had a devotion to Padre Pio, but at the same time, one of her sisters was living in the same town as Joey Lamangino, Lindenhurst, New York, and she was having Joey come to her house and talk about Garabandel, and Joey also had a large two-inch medal that the Blessed Mother actually kissed in Garabandel. And the Blessed Mother promised that those who venerated that medal could receive prodigies, miracles, from her son. So as a young 13-year-old boy, I listened to Joey and venerated the medal. Two weeks later, went to a doctor, took x-rays. My legs were completely healed. Twenty years goes by, and in 1993, a good friend of mine who was a neighbor of my aunt's invited me to go here some blind guy speak about a Marian apparition. And I said, nah, you know, I'm not really interested. I, I don't want to go. And he says, no, but it, it's really good. And, and Padre Pio, you know, approves of it. I go, Padre Pio? Okay, if he says it's okay, I'll go. And I went, and it was Joey Lomagino's house. And when I walked in and saw Joey, I, I knew him immediately because he has a face you, you can't forget because he had an accident when he was a young boy that uh, severed um, uh, part of his forehead, and uh, it's all stitched up, and he's blind. So after the talk, I went up to Joey, and then I reintroduced myself as the, the boy who was healed 20 years ago, and I started working for him in the center, you know, doing whatever they needed done. And after about a year and a half or so, he saw that um, I had a great interest in it, and I was reading all the books that were available, and I, I really wasn't too shy so he asked me to start going out and, and doing talks about Garavandel in the public. And uh, he also made me the uh, director of public relations for the, um, you know, the New York Garavandel Center. And um, from there, uh, I was able to get him on uh, Mother Angelica's EWTN um, because we had just come out with a video. And then uh, in 2009, I discussed with him and Conchita the possibility of using the Internet to, you know, bring in a wider audience uh, worldwide. And uh, they gave me some guidelines on what they'd like. And that's how I started the, the Facebook page in 2009 called The Message of Garabandel. And uh, now I've expanded it into 12 languages. So there's English, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, French, German, Croatian, Polish, Russian, Filipino, Japanese, and Chinese. <laughs> And do you do all the work with all the different languages? Yeah, what I do is um, I've, I've tested out different uh, online translators. So what I do is when I set up a page in a language, um, I, I see which translator works best, and then I have one or two uh, administrators that I put on the count that speak English and that language. So I send it to them first, saying, here's what I want to post today. They check the translation, and then I put it on. So I know that it's as accurate as possible. Wow, that's amazing. And you mentioned this person named Joey, and you had venerated this medal. And that was one of the things with Garen Medell. People would present sacramentals to the visionaries, and then they would hold them up, and Our Lady would take them or kiss them. And so it became a very moving sacramental. But who is Joey in, in relationship to Garamandel? Why did he go to Garamandel? What's his relationship? Well, Joey was about uh, 16 years old, uh, was working uh, for his uh, family company. Uh, it was uh, ice delivery. He was filling up a truck tire that went flat and it exploded, and the rim hit him in the face above the eyes and creased his forehead and severed all his olfactory nerves, so <clears throat> he went blind. He went into a coma and didn't wake up um, until the uh, a feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Um, many years goes by, and he's now in his 30s, and one of his uncles says, you know, Joey, I, I could see you're tired, Let's, let's take a trip. Let's take a vacation to Italy. And he takes him to Italy. And while they're there, the uncle arranges for him to go to see Padre Pio and have confession. And in that confession, Padre Pio obviously uh, could read souls and told Joey all the things that he was doing in life that he shouldn't. 
And Joey was very touched by all of this and, you know, started this uh, conversion. Uh, two years later, he went back again, uh, seeing Padre Pio again. Uh, Padre Pio came up to him um, and touched his forehead and instantly, uh, Joey jumped back, and his sense of smell was restored, uh, which is impossible because all of the nerves are severed. It's like trying to put on a light with no, no electrical wires. Um, and then in that conversation that they had after that event, he asked Padre Pio, I understand is this Mary is appearing in Garabandel. Is it true? And Padre Pio said, yes, it is. He said, should I go there? He said, sure, why not? And Joey, in 1963, goes to Garabandel, meets Conchita. They become very friendly. And um, Joey comes back to New York with his uncle. And his uncle had taken all kinds of photographs of the apparitions and, and the town itself and the people. He put them in a photo album and put Braille captions underneath the pictures. And this way, Joey started to go almost door to door telling anybody who would listen about Garabandel. And then slowly, you know, years later, um, he decided to start the, the New York Garabandel Center and people started to come to help him. And, and that's how the, the apostolate started. Wow. And that's incredible how he became an evangelist, really, for Garabandel and wanting so many people to become aware of it. So he goes to Italy, he goes to then to Garambendel. Why do you think Our Lady appeared in such a remote village in Spain? You know, like I said before, this is such a nice, uh, quiet, remote mountain town. Um, it, no electricity until the early 50s. Everyone is Catholic. And I think one of the most interesting things I learned in, in, in doing due diligence about the town itself is... I confirmed with people who lived there, they had a 500-year history of doing a nightly rosary. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of another town that can claim that. And actually, during the apparitions, the Blessed Mother told Conchita, God loves this place. It's sacred. So I think that's amazing. Wow. That is and incredible to think about the nightly rosary. And you're saying those rosaries preceded the apparition. They were praying the rosary long before Our Lady appeared there? Yes, 500 years. Wow. And, uh, you know, I could think of uh, a few other apparitions of Our Lady that, you know, something similar, not as grand as that, right? But uh, in Knock, Ireland, for example, uh, the priest, the Archdeacon Kavanaugh was his name, who was the pastor of the village of Knock, and he had just celebrated a series of 33 Gregorian Masses. And then the next day, Our Lady appears. So, so sometimes, you know, it's this prayer that people do in preparation, and then Our Lady shows up. And we shouldn't be surprised then uh, when we know some of that backstory. Or uh, another apparition in Belgium is Beno, Belgium. And they've been praying the rosary at 7 o'clock every night since the apparition. So maybe 500 years from now, we could say the same thing about Beno, that they've been gathering at the church church there of apparition and praying the rosary. So Mary always comes to these places and she gives a message. Some of the apparitions of Our Lady, we can think of the common message like Fatima, pray the rosary every day for peace in the world. Lourdes, it was a really a message of healing with the discovery of the spring water. But, you know, Mary wanted people to come on pilgrimage. She wanted people to do penance. So there's always a message with the apparitions. What's Garambandel's message? Well, actually, there were quite a few. Um, the, uh, I'll, I'll back up and say it's interesting to know that um, the Blessed Mother at Fatima asked that the third secret of Fatima be released in 1960. And when it wasn't, she immediately appears the following year at Garavandel in 1961. I, I always thought that was a, an amazing and purposeful connection of the two apparitions. Um, now, there's really two, two sections of messages. Mary, because she was there for four years, brought a lot of daily messages just for everyday life. And the very first thing she did was teach the girls the rosary. 
Um, so I think that's a, that's a really important fact that she sees this as the most paramount thing to teach them first is let's teach them the rosary. Uh, she she goes on to teach them lessons of humility, piety, uh, modesty, reverence for priests. Um, she uh, Mary actually says it's more of an honor to receive communion than to meet an angel. So that that's pretty amazing, uh, and and why she would give so much reverence to priests. The importance of the Eucharist. Uh, obedience to the church, and and one of the main things she said uh, for daily life is she, she said, but above all, we must lead good lives. So that was the section of, mas- uh, of basic daily messages that she tried to teach. But she did leave two prophetic messages, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what they were. Uh, on October 18, 1961, she left her first message, and she said, we must make many sacrifices, perform much penance, and visit the Blessed Sacrament frequently. But first, we must lead good lives. If we do not, a chastisement will befall us. The cup is already filling up, and if we do not change, a very great chastisement will come upon us. Now, Towards the end of the apparitions, she leaves a second important message on June 18, 1965. As my message of October 18th has not been complied with and has not been known to the world, I am advising you that this is the last one. Before the cup was filling up, now it is flowing over. Many cardinals, many bishops, and many priests are on the road to perdition and taking many souls with them. Less and less importance has been given to the Eucharist. You should turn the wrath of God away from yourselves by your efforts. If you do not ask for his forgiveness with sincere hearts, uh, if you ask for forgiveness with sincere hearts, he will pardon you. I, your mother, through the intercession of St. Michael the Archangel, ask you to amend your lives. You are now receiving the last warnings. I love you very much and do not want your condemnation. Pray to us with sincerity and we will grant your requests. You should make more sacrifices. Think about the passion of Jesus. And so those here, were the two main messages. And here we are. We're in the season of Lent and we are thinking about the passion of Jesus. And that's really one of the ways in which now we can respond to this message that Our Lady gave in Garam Bendel. You talk about prophecy and chastisement. So what are some of the prophesied future events that maybe people think of uh, as being associated with the message of Garam Bendel? Well, there's three. Um, she prophesied uh, three events, one called the warning, one called the miracle, and one called the conditional chastisement. So what the warning is, is God is going to suspend time and show each person the state of their soul as he sees it. And he's going to show you all your sins, not particularly uh, each individual sin, but, but the gravity of the type of sin that you did. Because people don't understand the gravity of sin, how it offends God. And people say, well, I've been to confession. I don't have to worry about that. I'm forgiven for that. I said, okay, explain to me the difference. How does God see the difference? How is he offended between you stealing something and you murdering someone? Well, I, I don't know. Well, of course you don't know. We, we, we don't have God's knowledge. We don't really understand the gravity of each type of sin. And that's what this is. People think this is a punishment. And I tell them, this is not a punishment. I said, this is an amazing blessing to have a piece of God's knowledge, to know, to know what sin truly is. And believe me, we're all going to be, we're all going to be shocked. I think we're all going to be very upset. It's going to be very painful. Uh, to realize how much we've offended him. And it's not only the sins that we've committed, but he's also going to show what the Church calls sins of omission, the things that we should have done in life, and, and, and the effects of sin on people 
that we've committed these sins. So this is really going to be an, an eye-opening experience, what Conchita called the correction of conscience. Um, now, this warning is going to start with uh, some type of explosion of light in the sky. That's going to be the, start, the signal that it's starting. Now, Conchita, as a 12-year-old, described it as it looks like two stars collide, but nothing falls. So it, it could be two stars. It may not. It's, it's like I said, it's just a young girl's description of this, this burst of light in the sky. And when that happens, time will suspend and God will show us these sins. And then we'll have a moment to repent and turn our lives around. Oh, certainly, certainly. Now, God is going to back this up because you know that the world we live in, uh, people will find some excuse not to attribute this to God. <laughs> so what God is going to do is sometime after the warning, now originally uh, Conchita said it was within 12 months of the warning, but I think it's going to be a much shorter time period than that. Um, is God is going to perform what Mary called the greatest miracle ever. And what this is going to be is it's a two-stage miracle at the pine trees of Garabandel. There's going to be an initial, let's say, about 15 minutes of some type of miracle, uh, I would imagine, in the skies, so everyone could see it. And then there's going to be a permanent sign there left for eternity. So not only is God going to perform the warning, he's going to give some type of a miracle, and then a permanent sign left there. So it's undeniable that these two events were from God alone. Um, one of the promises of the miracle is that Mary said that anyone who is in attendance at Garabandel uh, for the miracle will be healed of whatever ailment they have. Um, so that's a, that's an amazing promise uh, in in and of itself. Um, now, the last one is called the conditional chastisement. Now, Mary was very specific to call it the conditional chastisement because there's, there's many uh, other visionaries have talked about a, a punishment, uh, three days of darkness. Uh, in in Garabandel, it was not called any of those. It was just called the conditional chastisement. And it's important that she says conditional because... She's saying that God is allowing a period of time, just like you were asking, for people to repent. So the only thing is, we don't know how much time that is. Is, is it weeks? Is it months? Is it years? But we, we don't know. But God is going to give the world a chance to repent and, and convert. And if they don't, then we're going to face this chastisement. And it's it's pretty horrendous. Um, I've I've compared just three particular notes. Um, the original three days of darkness was was uh, prophesied by Blessed Anna Maria Tiagi, and and the short sentence that gives a description. She says, "Fire will rain forth from the sky." Now I went back and read interviews, and Conchita's description was worse than being enveloped in fire from above and below. And Mary Lowly said, rivers changed into blood, fire fell from the sky. So it, it sounds like what was prophesied as the three days of darkness in other visionaries seems like it's the same exact thing as what in Garabandel is calling the chastisement. And it, it sounds like a pretty, pretty horrendous event. So nothing that's going on in the world right now we would consider a part of any of this, except that it's really a moment for us to say, let us turn back to God now. Let us lead good and holy lives as Our Lady requested. Let's do these things. That's really the state where we're in right now, that Our Lady has come. She spoke in Garamandel. She spoke in all of these different apparitions, but yet, for whatever reason, we continue to choose to overlook these messages and putting them to action in our life. Yes, I, I, I don't really understand people's reluctance. Um, um, there's enough 
there's enough uh, evil in the world to realize that we're headed down a very dangerous path. But, uh, again, this is God's great, maybe second greatest act of mercy. I, uh, I, I feel his <laughs> sacrificing his son on the cross was his greatest act of mercy. So I'm going to call this his second greatest act of mercy, is he's giving the entire world one more chance by providing the warning, by providing the miracle, and saying, this is it. You know, make up your mind, and, and, and we'll face the consequences depending on how mankind responds. And I think maybe some of that reluctance people have about marrying apparitions and these messages and such, it could be that, well, they just want to dismiss it. But there were, like, supernatural phenomena and miracles that really took place during all of this, beside the apparition itself, that really validate that this is something is going on here. And so once you hear those things, it should lead us to believe. What are some of those supernatural phenomena that occurred? Sure. Well, let's start with the first thing that I mentioned uh, earlier was you have these girls that are 11 and 12 years old. And um, the first thing they are doing when they go into this ecstatic state, when Mary appears, is they're learning the rosary. So townspeople are like, how, how are they doing the rosary? Uh, they really weren't taught it. They didn't have any rosaries in front of them or in their hands. So they're repeating the rosary in order perfectly, never having learned it, never having a, a rosary in their hands. So that was the first sign um, that something miraculous was, being, uh, was going on. Once this started, doctors were brought in to test the girls. And they started simply by, like, once they were in an ecstatic state, they'd pinch them and, and they wouldn't feel any pain. They'd stick them with needles and they wouldn't feel any pain. They'd throw sand in their eyes to try to make them blink. They couldn't make them blink because they were uh, stare, staring upward at Mary. They took camera flash bulbs and flashed in their eyes to try to get them to blink. They wouldn't blink. They got so desperate that they even tried burning them with matches just to see if they could get a reaction, and there still was no reaction. One of the amazing things that was done almost on a daily basis is when a Mary would appear and the girls were gathered outside, and they would come from remote locations, the four girls. So each one could be at their own house, and they would get this calling and all arrive at the same spot at the same time, uh, which was kind of amazing. And, and sometimes they'd fall to their knees uh, on this, this very rocky ground. Uh, and the people would swear that they could hear, you know, like bones cracking. And they were horrified that these girls weren't harmed in any way. Um, they did ecstatic walks where obviously where they looked upward at Mary and they would walk uphill uh, or downhill, frontwards and backwards never looking where their footing is. And if you've seen pictures of Garrett Vendell, you, you, could, break, you could break your ankle trying to run on, on, the, on the, some of the ground there because there's just so many rocks. Um, the, no one could lift the girls up when they were in an ecstatic state. Two men couldn't lift a girl off the ground, yet the girls could lift each other to kiss the Blessed Mother. Uh, one of the things you mentioned before was the kissing of, of relics, uh, of uh, not relics, of religious objects. Um, so initially the girls would hand Mary stones to kiss, uh, like pebbles, and she said, you know, I, I really don't want to do this. I'd rather kiss, you know, religious objects. So tell people to bring, like, wedding rings and rosaries and crucifixes. And they would be mounded on a table. And the girls would be able to pick one up, give it to Mary, have Mary kiss it, and without looking, uh, just walk over to the person and hand it back. And a mistake was never made. Uh, whoever uh, placed something on that table was always given back uh, the object that they put to be kissed. Um, Mary's voice was recorded. Now, this was unheard of. Uh, in, in any other apparition that I was aware of. But in August of 1961, uh, they had a tape recorder brought in, and Mary's voice was recorded, and, and Conchita's begging her to speak, and the words, no, I won't speak, appear on the tape. And it's brought back to the town. It's played once for everybody, and then the second time that it went to be played, 
nothing was left on the tape. But a lot of people witnessed hearing that first recording. Uh, Conchita took a Polaroid picture of Mary. That's That's been recorded. That's on the Internet. Uh, that's on my site if you want to see it. Um, some of the other things. Mary was able to identify priests uh, who tried to disguise themselves in civilian clothes, uh, which, which amazed them, um, trying to, I guess, test our Blessed Mother a little bit. And then probably the, the last and most amazing uh, phenomenon was Conchita is begging the Blessed Mother to perform a big miracle so that people will believe her, because some people are still doubting the girls. So uh, in July of uh, 3rd of uh, 1962, St. Michael announces that 15 days from now, uh, a miracle will happen. And on July 1862, Conchita is kneeling down in ecstasy. She has her hands at her side. Uh, she sticks her tongue out. And this is witnessed by a drove of people. It's on camera, uh, filmed cameras, still cameras. The Eucharist appears on her tongue, uh, and it's glowing. And everyone who saw it swore her tongue was already out. It wasn't hidden in her mouth. She didn't. She, her hands never moved. It just appeared out of nowhere, and that's caught on film. So those are just some of the things that happened to prove that this was uh, a valid apparition and, and supernatural. And one of the ways that we then look at an apparition and validate it, the church has a process. They look at three different things. Usually they look at the life of the visionary. They look at the content of the messages, and then they also, you know, ask, is there fruit? Is there uh, a cult of devotion surrounding the apparition? So the church investigated Garambandel. What was their ruling? Well, this is an interesting story, and probably the, the most important reason that there is confusion about Garambandel. And again, I have to back up a little bit in history so you understand why it happened. In 1931 in Spain, in a town called Ezquiga, a Blessed Mother appeared to two children. And this story is almost identical to Garabandel. It's two young children, one is seven, one's 11, and she gives messages of prophecy of events in the future that include a miracle and a chastisement. And she talks about the, uh, you know, the world having to uh, have penance. Now, during this time, there's a civil war going on in Spain, and the socialist government takes power. And the last thing a socialist government or a communist government wants is faithful people relying on God uh, instead of the government. So they're trying to squash this apparition, and they literally go after the Jesuits and tell them, if you don't stop this, we're going to close the churches, and we're going to start killing the priests. That's how desperate they are to shut this apparition down. So the church is forced to to stop this. the talk of this apparition. Now fast forward 30 years to 1961, and here it is again. Young girls, same area, same message, miracle, chastisement, penance. And the local bishop decides, I'm not going through this again. And he basically sets out a course to shut down the apparitions by forming a bias commission on purpose. And this bishop, Fernandez, only went to the village twice. Out of all four years of the apparitions, he only went two times, and he called it, oh, this is child's play. So he sets this commission out to shut down Garabandel. The problem is the priest that he heads up the commission is so convinced after a while of investigating it that he resigns from the commission himself because he knows in his heart it's, it's true and he, he won't bring a lie back to the bishop. Doctors swear that this is, uh, you know, mental disease, mental disorder. It's an imagination. The girls are faking. The problem is he can't 
get enough information to send a report to the Vatican because no one will attest to anything. He doesn't interview the girls. He doesn't interview their parents. So how do you do a, a valid investigation if you don't even interview the girls themselves or their parents who witness this every day? So all of this negativity is going on, but yet the Blessed Mother just forges ahead. And I think the more he, they fight her, the more miracles start happening and the more miraculous things happen to convince people. And, and thank God Padre Pio steps into the picture in 63 and, and like I said before, tells Joey that it is true. Um, that tends to help sustain the apparitions when people hear he believes that it's true because who, who can question Padre Pio? Uh, and then one of the biggest things that happened is Pope Paul VI invites Conchita, uh, that's in January of 1966, and she's questioned for two and a half hours by his commission, um, and they believe her story. And then they set up a private meeting with Conchita, her mother, and a doctor um, with Pope Paul VI. And... Um, at the end of that meeting, Pope Paul says to her, Conchita, uh, I bless you and the whole church blesses you. And Conchita reveals the date of the future miracle uh, to the Pope and his private secretary. So I, I guess it is his feeling, he's being prudent by saying, well, if I have the date, we'll wait till the date comes before we make a proclamation on Garavandel. Uh, this way, there's no risk to them. Um, so that's unfortunate that we have to wait, but that's why there's been no official decision as far as the Vatican is concerned. Now, as far as the local bishop, because if, if you're aware, and I'm sure you are, uh, your audience is aware, um, apparitions are usually handed over to the local bishop of the area that it's occurring in to make a decision. Usually the Vatican doesn't step in. They try to leave it up to the local bishops. So the most damage that this bishop could, the bishops could do was they can't condemn it because it's, it's obvious that it's, it's going on and there's so much proof they're going to look ridiculous if they condemn it. They certainly don't want to approve it, so they go middle ground. So the church has three official rulings on how to classify um, apparitions. The first one is constat de supernatural tape, which means that they're certain that this is of a supernatural origin. The second one is constat de non supernatural tape, which means the events are not of a supernatural origin. The third classification is non-constat to supernatural Tate, and that means they're not certain if it's supernatural or not. So the bishop declared Garabandil the third one, which at least leaves room for belief. And even in modern-day um, uh, history of Garabandil, some of the bishops have uh, one of the bishops in, in particular has performed mass there, has uh, kissed the crucifix that Mary kissed. So, you know, it, it, not all of the bishops followed suit as far as their belief in, in trying to uh, condemn uh, Garabandel. Um, it's never been condemned by the church. This is a, mis, a misnomer or misunderstanding that has been spread on the Internet. Um, there is no official Vatican ruling on this. They're waiting for the, mir the date of the miracle. And uh, there's nothing to prevent people from, uh, from studying this and, and believing in it. Are there a lot of pilgrims that go to Garambandel today, do you know? Oh, yes. They, they've, been, they've been going there since the 60s. Um, and it, it's very popular. You know, it's a very popular uh, apparition site. Um, the problem is that it's, it's town is so small. There's only so many, uh, hotels and restaurants and things like that. So you have to be careful when you plan to go that there's enough, there's enough, uh, housing and, and things of that nature. 
But yes, it, it still continues to be a very popular uh, apparition site. Yeah, it's my hope maybe to get there this year or next year on a little journey to Spain to see some of these people uh, that have really touched and influenced me in my own spiritual life. Now, I think that one of the reasons uh, the church might have been hesitant, and this would just be conjecture on my part, but one of the messengers said that the, the bishops and the priests and cardinals are leading lives of perdition and leading the people astray or whatever. And so, you know, sometimes you don't like being criticized, but now we know this message that was spoken back in the 1960s, well, we've seen it played out. We know that it was true. And, and in fact, it's probably even still true right now, this very day. So so I, I bet there was some sort of reluctance because of the severity of the message, perhaps. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it's basically the Blessed Mother is, is, is talking about not only that present day, but, but more or less the future of what's going to happen. And this is almost unthinkable. Like I said, the, the people of this town revered priests, and, and, and these were like, like rock stars to them when a priest would, you know, priests would visit. You know, these were very special people. So to hear that, how could this person or a bishop or a cardinal, how could they lead people down the road to perdition was almost unthinkable. And of course, the, the local bishops are going to have a negative reaction to this. They, they've got to try to... Um, squash this this prophecy because it's it's calling them out right in front of everybody. So um, you know that also you're right uh, added to some of the negativity uh, about Garavandel. So the main message of Garavandel that I'm walking away with: Mary asked for sacrifice. She asked for prayer, especially to pray before the Blessed Sacrament. She said, reflect on the passion of Jesus. If you want to live the message of Garamandel, do those things. You know, she just simply said, just lead good lives. How much simpler can it be? There was an apparition in Belgium called Borang that Our Lady said, always mm -hmm. be good. And I always thought, you know, that's a nice little message from Mary. She's speaking to children, always be good. Well, that means obey the commandments, for example. So uh, that's right, lead good lives. It's great motherly advice. If people want to learn more about Garibandel, what should they read? What should they watch? Where should they go? Well, uh, you know, because of the uh, blessing I've had of working with Joey Lamangino and being friends with Conchita uh, for nearly 30 years, uh, my website is the only one that she speaks to on the Internet. Um, actually, she released a statement uh, back in uh, 2020 about the pandemic, and she released it through my site, and then it spread uh, worldwide after that. So if you're looking for a place of valid information um, and someone who speaks directly to the main visionary, you can come on Facebook to the page called The Message of Garabandel. And like I said, um, if you speak a different language, you can still come there and I will give you the link to one of the 12 language sites I have. Uh, in addition to, I think it's the only site that I know of where it's interactive. Uh, I'm, I'm online anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day monitoring it. So I try to answer your questions as they come in, uh, in order that they come in. Uh, and there's a lot of them, so you have to be a little bit patient, but you will get a, a direct answer from me. Um, one of the things I did was built a library in the file system of the page. So I've put in 45 of the most frequently asked questions. I've put in the answers. So if you don't want to wait for an answer, you can actually go into my library, look up the topic, and find the answer there. I also provide uh, at least a dozen free online books, some of the best books ever written on Garavandel. Uh, and those are all free online. Many of them are out of print. They're very hard to get. They're very expensive. They're hundreds of dollars. They're free on my site. I've also built a video library, I think it's up to 80 videos now uh, on YouTube and other places. So if you want to see visual uh, confirmations of all the things that we talked about today, I have about 80 free videos that you can look at. Um, there's also some other uh, interviews that I've done. 
if if there was a topic that wasn't covered today, uh, maybe another uh, interview might have it. So there's so much information on my page. I have 600 files on Garabandel. So there's a new story every day posted uh, daily. Um, and I, I don't know that you're going to find a much better site than that, to be quite honest. Yes, I'm just looking at some of them. So I just opened up the videos of Garen Bendel page. And there you have, you know, the different videos. Garen Bendel, The Last Act of Mercy uh, that I, I just saw. You have a lot with Padre Pio and Garen Bendel. Questions on Garen Bendel. So, so there's a lot of information out there, at, right there on your website, as you mentioned. And that's found on Facebook at The Message of Garen Bendel. And I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes so that people can more readily and easily find it and uh, learn more. I... You know, I think this might be one of the most important conversations I've had so far in my podcast. Uh, um, I've just been very touched by the message of Gary Bendel as I've continued to read it, as I've heard it, as I've listened to others, and even through this conversation today. I think it's a message for our times. Well, it looks like the prophecies are unfolding uh, right in front of us. Um, you know, Mary talked about uh, three signs that would happen. And and they are they're right here. Uh, one was a synod, and obviously we we have a synod ongoing that will conclude in uh, 2023. She talked about when communism comes again. Well, there's evidence of that right in front of us right now. And the last one is she prophesied that the Pope would go to Moscow, and when he returned. Um, there would be some escalation of hostilities, but then following that, then God's going to bring the warning and miracle. So Garabandel is unfolding right in front of us. Wow. Well, I'm so grateful that you took the time today to share your vast knowledge of Garabandel with me and with all the listeners. And uh, I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing, and I'm blessed to be a part of your Garen Bendel group and to see the content daily. Well, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this again to a whole new audience uh, that may have never heard of Garen Bendel. So I, I hope they'll come to the page and, and show it to their friends and family, because these things will happen. And I'm, I'm just trying to prepare people for what's going to happen. Well, thank you for doing that, and I know that I have a lot of work to prepare myself as well. Thank you again for giving me this opportunity, Father. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope that my conversation with today's guest was one that enriched you spiritually and also helped you to foster a deeper love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. If you enjoyed this podcast, could you do me a favor? Go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast so that others might find it as a recommended podcast from other Catholic podcasts that they might listen to. And if you don't mind, share about the show on social media so that your friends and family might come to find it and be enriched by our conversations as well. And if you don't mind, you can follow me on social media at FR Edward Looney on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And this show, How They Love Mary, will soon be a book available from Sophia Institute Press. You can already go over to their website and pre-order How They Love Mary. Thanks so much for listening. May God bless you today. Know of my prayers for you. And may Mary pray for you today and always.